are going to do something very different than usual. We're going to talk about the sociological reality of privilege, what it is, what it isn't, and why it matters, especially to the church because we find it mentioned all over the Bible and in all types of biblical literature from historical narratives, poetry, to wisdom sayings, to apocalypses. Privilege is a word that tends to provoke strong reactions from white people like, you know, me. Even when we readily acknowledge the ways in which we ourselves don't have it as good as other people for this or that reason. Personally, I believe the topic has been poisoned by those who want to make it look like the argument of privilege is saying things that it absolutely is not saying, that every single white person has it better than every single person of color in this country, or that if you are white, you haven't had your struggles. And the truth is that absolutely no one is saying that, even though there are talking points out there that have been designed to provoke fear and defensiveness in white people. But the Bible does talk about privilege, and so should we. Hi, I'm Tyler Don Rosenquist, and welcome to Character in Context, where I teach the historical and ancient sociological context of Scripture, with an eye to developing the character of the Messiah. If you prefer written material, I have six years' worth of blogs at theancientbridge.com, as well as six books available on Amazon, including a four-volume curriculum series dedicated to teaching scriptural context in a way that even kids can understand called context for kids. I also have YouTube channels, free video teachings for adults and kids. You can find the links for those on my website. Past broadcasts of this program can be found at characterincontext.podbean.com and transcripts for most broadcasts at theancientbridge.com. If you have kids, I also have a weekly broadcast where I teach them Bible context in a way that shows them why they can trust God and how he wants to have a relationship with them through the Messiah. Let's look really quick at the UK. It shouldn't even be remotely controversial to say that if you are a member of the royal family or the nobility, then you have natural privileges and perks that average everyday folks do not have. You are more likely going to attend Eton and Oxford than public schools. You will have top-notch health care and access to whatever it is that will assist you in developing your natural talents. You won't have to worry about money as long as you are responsible with it because you have inherited wealth from your ancestors as well as titles, giving you standing that you did nothing to earn. In fact, you didn't earn anything you were born to possess or benefit from. No one does, rich or poor. We would all agree that it is a privilege not to have to deal with certain hurdles that others have to try to jump over. Let's look at Israel. And I understand this is a sensitive topic right now, but who on earth would choose to be born behind the barriers in Gaza or the West Bank? Any takers? Of course not. There is no one who would not rather be born to a Jewish family in Jerusalem instead. Who would make the conscious choice of being born a woman in Iran or Afghanistan now that the Taliban has regained control of the country? Who would choose to be born in a war zone or in an apartheid state on the side of those being oppressed? I am very grateful to be living in America and to be white because it means that I didn't struggle in the ways that many of my friends of color have struggled. 
I'm grateful that I wasn't born into poverty in Mexico or South America, whose governments are either in cahoots with, controlled by, or in a losing battle with powerful drug cartels. I am grateful I have never had cause to live in mortal fear of what will happen to my sons who, despite being biracial, easily pass as white. There are hurdles I have never had to jump because I am who I am, and I'm sure you can say the same thing. The Bible flatly tells the haves not to despise the have-nots and to not ignore them or mock them. When we deny the privilege all around us, we are despising and mocking those who suffer the consequences of the situations they were born into. And there are other kinds of privilege, generational wealth and education within the middle class. Although slavery was made illegal in the 1860s, various forms of it lingered long afterward and even to the present day in our food harvesting. Even poor whites, during antebellum days, benefited and profited from cheaper cotton and tobacco than they would have if the workers were fairly paid and were free to seek employment elsewhere or were educated. My ancestors didn't own slaves as far as I know, but they did enjoy the benefits of what was being perpetrated against enslaved people. At the end of the Civil War, my family retained what they had before the war while freed blacks were let loose with absolutely nothing. No land, no money, no education. No open arms waiting to embrace them anywhere. It's only within recent memory that the black community in America has been able to begin generating generational wealth, which is the ability to send off their children with a fair start in life educationally and financially and for the children to someday inherit and build upon what they had growing up. People who are firmly middle class often fail to see what an advantage it is to have things provided for them because their parents had things provided for them. People who are upper, middle class, and rich are often completely oblivious to it. But the Bible isn't, and the prophets sure weren't. The way your family life is set up constitutes an area where advantage and disadvantage can be quite obvious. No one would deny that growing up in a loving, non-abusive, supportive, Christian, two-parent family free from addiction, regardless of socioeconomic conditions, gives young people a huge leg up psychologically over those who didn't have it. Attending a school where the teachers truly care and support their students makes a world of difference. Never having lived in foster care or being raised by relatives while parents are incarcerated or dead or just gone remove a lot of the hurdles that many real kids out there face. Foster kids are often put out onto the street when they hit their 18th birthday and the support money stops coming in and they end up at men's and women's shelters or in the streets. Some privileges are seemingly random. Physical beauty, musical or athletic ability, intelligence, health, and being able-bodied. All of these contribute to a person's chance of success, including color and gender. Nothing I have mentioned so far has anything to do with merit or virtue. They are very much what we would call accidents of birth. No one is born deserving or not deserving any of these. 
They just are what they are. I would be a ridiculous fool to say that there is no privilege to being very intelligent white and to have come from a family that was mid to upper class by the time I graduated from high school. My parents paid for my college, another big privilege. My husband has those same privileges. We never had to worry about how to pay for college and neither did our kids. Neither of us earned that, even though we worked hard in school because there are people out there who worked even harder and had to work full-time or part-time or take out student loans to afford their tuition. They, through no fault of their own, had that hurdle that we didn't even hardly know was there. Not only that, but we were able to attend more prestigious schools with better science and engineering programs. Let me just stop right there. Do I feel guilty about that privilege? No, I don't. That would be counterproductive and self-centered. But that isn't the same thing as me not seeing the injustice of it and knowing that change needs to happen. I really like Star Trek because it represents a world where a lot of this inequity has been defeated. I mean, there will always be abuse and irresponsible parents, but I believe that a world where no one is hungry and every child has an equal education and opportunities is in alignment with the trajectory of scripture and is frankly better than personal wealth. That we should know, and I'm not talking about socialism either, so, you know, whatever. That we should greatly desire it goes without saying. I had a dream back on September 4th that I want to share. I wrote this in the morning when I woke up, but I haven't shared it until just now. Last night, I dreamed that I woke up as a black woman in America. I still had all my memories of being a white woman, and the voice I used when talking to others was the voice of a white woman, but the reactions to it were very different. I saw neglect and disrespect. I saw black youth in what can only be called a pit of vipers, cobras specifically, and my demands that those in charge do something about it going unheard and not taken seriously. And I'm talking about big, honking, obvious cobras under the sand, mostly under the sand. Then suddenly I was white again and I yelled about it and the people scrambled to deal with the cobras as though this was the first complaint they'd ever heard about them. I went from setting to setting like this with similar results. It was a real eye-opener, something I knew, but I didn't know. It wasn't a matter of attractiveness because the woman whose face I bore was younger and far more attractive and I would kill for her hair, let me tell you. The face was far more professional looking, well-groomed, you name it, but she just wasn't white. For many years now, I've been asking God to really make the reality of privilege clear to me so I could teach it, and that did it. I was so frustrated being white on the inside in the way I thought, acted, spoke, etc. had absolutely no effect on these people's reactions to me compared to how they responded when my face reverted back to my own. It was like a switch flipped in their heads that I should be listened to, cared about, taken seriously, and even feared. And come on, it's don't blame it on the Karen factor. Okay. I'm five foot one. No, no one's scared of me. 
Not caring about cobras waiting to strike at kids who were black until someone white was there demanding action and help and getting rid of them? And that's the point, isn't it? The not caring. It's worse than hatred, really. The pretending that things aren't wrong when steps can be taken on behalf of kids. It was strange. You know, the cobras were actually yellow. I had no idea there were yellow cobras, but I looked them up and there they were, Cape Cobras. Geez, they looked exactly like the ones in my dream, venomous and highly aggressive. They live in South Africa. And white adults were just standing by, casually uncaring. To care would mean needing to do something because no one could ever, ever see something like that in real life and refuse to act if they had even an ounce of love for children. Or for God. We don't want to compare ourselves to apartheid South Africa, but after my dream, I think that maybe we really need to reconsider if we are different enough from them to feel good about ourselves. I mean, how can this be true in a country that calls itself a Christian nation? And that brings me to another reality in life about privilege, one that I knew about but had normalized until my book designer, David, posted something about it. I hadn't ever realized that it shouldn't be normal for me to worry about being sexually assaulted if I am out walking at night or even laying in my bed at night. It isn't something that men need to obsess over or really even think about. Oh, they might get beaten up and mugged, of course. That can happen to men or women. They don't lie in their beds at night thinking, what if an intruder breaks in and rapes me? I think about that. I have always thought about that. Imagine being a single woman. Oh, sure, I, I've had to deal with my fair share of discrimination and sexism, having started my working life back in the early 90s. And I have had to deal with dismissive comments no man would ever hear, regardless of color. But the worst treatment I have received as a woman has been in the church. It was in the second church I attended as an adult where the modern worship leader began to come on to me and harass me sexually. When I rebuffed his advances, he didn't stop. When I went to church leadership, I was told that it must be nice to know that I've still got it at my age. I was 33, hardly geriatric. And the idea that any woman naturally loves that sort of attention from a married man with six kids? Ew! It creates a hostile worship environment. Before too long, when his wife found out, I was blamed and it was made known that I was unwelcome in that congregation. He was more valuable than I was. I was the problem even though I had done my due diligence in reporting it. It was a Southern Baptist church, and although it surprised me then, now it wouldn't. But that still paled in comparison to what began to happen when God called me to teach, even though I make no effort to teach men. Heck, I make no effort to teach anyone except by posting on my websites and social media pages. I am only on the radio because people actually all of them were men, came to me and asked me to do it, and I have only spoken at conferences where I was asked to come and given authority to teach, usually by men. And yet, even in minding my own business, I get gender-based hate mail from men who, instead of simply disagreeing with me, 
get ugly and pull verses out of context to tell me that I must remain quiet. Even at home, I guess, because that's where I teach from. Now, the reason is because of my gender and not my level of knowledge, intelligence, giftedness, um, devotion, or calling. It's something men never have to deal with. Likely, it's something they can't even imagine. And any sort of discrimination we can't even imagine represents a privilege in our lives. I mean, I look around me at male teachers who obviously don't even study who are, you know, hailed as the conquering heroes. It's weird. <laughs> but, you know, I just keep doing what I'm doing. I, and, you know, the, the, the truth is, I'm not resentful, and I, and I just shrug it off. It is what it is, and um, it's largely a matter of training, okay? Now, in the outside world, in many ways, I am more privileged than a black man, unquestionably. But inside the evangelical churches, along with too many others, he would be privileged over me. Someone white might tell him to shut up, regardless of how good a preacher or teacher or leader he is. But it would probably be based upon his color, unless the guy really just didn't like him. Now, one of the ways I like to explain privilege is this. Who would you never, ever in a million years want to trade places with? For all that many evangelical white men, and certainly not all, complain about a war on men and specifically a war on white men, I don't see any of them volunteering to be a black man and much less a black woman. And it's because they and we recognize that it's far better to be white in this country than black. This doesn't mean that as long as you're white, you have it made because you absolutely do not. A white man can struggle terribly because of poverty. A lack of generational wealth and opportunity, poor education, disability, poor health, etc. Privilege isn't the same thing as having no struggles. It's just an acknowledgement that the playing field isn't even. And that shouldn't make any of us bristle, nor should it make anyone feel guilty for whatever privileges they do have. We were born into an unjust system. But it doesn't mean we have to ignore it or have a right to deny it. We need to pray and work for a better world. One of the things I hate to hear the most is that America is a great country because the best and the brightest can rise to the top. Yeah, they can, but not always, and it isn't inevitable. And as a special needs mom, I am not satisfied with living in a society where we are okay with only the best and the brightest being able to escape abominable circumstances but where everyone else is destined to suffer, you know, to continue to suffer, and somehow it's okay. Or God's will. America won't be great until everyone escapes, and every child is fed and educated and safe. Maybe the worst thing I ever heard another believer say is, well, God knew that people would be born into those circumstances. When I made the statement that it broke my heart, how much more difficult it is to preach the gospel to people who have never known anything except deprivation and fear and righteous anger at being sidelined, and especially by the church. It isn't okay with me. It shouldn't be okay with any believer to allow it and ignore it and even institutionalize it or see it as inevitable. And if that makes me a liberal somehow, then what on earth is wrong with conservative Christians? I am simply siding with those 
through whom Messiah identified in Matthew 25 in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Those of us with whatever measure of privilege we have as believers must always speak up on behalf of and assist those who do not. I want to read a poem that I found yesterday, well, a few days ago, uh, by Walter Brueggemann, one of my favorite theologians. This is from his book, Prayers for a Privileged People, and I will have that linked in the transcript. This is a prayer of protest. Since our mothers and fathers cried out, since you heard their cries and noticed, since we left the brick production of Egypt, since you foiled the production schedules of Pharaoh, we have known your name. We have sensed your passion. We have treasured your vision of justice. And now we turn to you again, whose precious name we know. We turn to you because there are still impossible production schedules, still exploitative systems, still cries of pain at injustice, still cheap labor that yields misery. We turn to you in impatience and exasperation, wondering how long before you answer our pleading question. Hear our petition. Since you are not a labor boss and do not set wages, we bid you stir up those who can change things. Do your stirring in the jaded halls of government. Do your stirring in the cynical offices of the corporations. Do your stirring amid the voting public too anxious to care. Do your stirring in the church that thinks too much about purity and not enough about wages. Move as you moved in ancient Egyptian days. Move the waters and the flocks and the herds toward new statutes and regulations, new equity and good health care, new dignity that cannot be given on the cheap. We have known now long since that you reject cheap grace, even as we now know that you reject cheap labor. You, God of justice and dignity and equity, Keep the promises you embodied in Jesus, that the poor may be first-class members of society, that the needy may have good care and respect, that the poor earth may rejoice in well-being, that we may all come to Sabbath rest together, the owner and the worker, the leisure class and the labor class, all at peace, in dignity and justice, not on the cheap, but good measure pressed down, running over, forgiven. I'll see you next week.